Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. How's it going today? Good. You're making me laugh. All right, start over. I got a camera. Okay. I'm trying to think. What can I talk? What can I start talking about? Um, we can say. Oh, we can like say like. Did you know that you can have a garden in the desert? Okay. <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then I can be like, I didn't until we talked to Noelle, who okay. lives in Arizona. Yes. And she is the Arizona plant lady. Yeah, but you thought it was you thought it was the A Z plant lady. A to Z. A to Z plant lady. However, I was not surprised by that because you don't know geography. Facts. So like what I really know. <laughs> You're like, was it Azerbaijan or <laughs> Arizona? What's crazy is I never connected that. I never connected that AZ was Arizona. I was like, no, 100%. She's the A to Z plant lady. Oh, this is why when you ask me something, I'm like, look at a map. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder, what the f am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. How's it going? It's good. Can you tell the good people today what the episode is going to be all about? Yes. On today's episode, we're talking to Noelle. Um, she is the Arizona plant lady. She's going to be talking to us all about how to have a garden in the desert. Did you know that you could have gardens in the desert? I knew about maybe like a desert full of like cactus garden. But apparently, after speaking to Noel, there's a ton of different things that you could grow in the desert. So for, for everybody who doesn't know, Marcella and I actually met while we were both living in the desert. That's right. Not just living like in the desert. We were living in a house in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. Because it yes. sounded like we were nomads. <laughs> we did walk across the desert with our suitcases, but that's a different story. We did walk across. We that's a different story for a different day, but it, it it's true. So let's just get into it. Our wonderful conversation with Noel. So welcome. We're so excited to talk to you. Yes, I'm so excited to do a lot of listening about all the things, all the questions because I don't know anything uh -oh. about I don't know anything about <laughs> like cactus. I I just tell people like my my experience was cactus is when I would watch cartoons as a kid, and you know like uh, Yosemite Sam, he would always land on the cactus and then scream. That's my uh... he would, and it would. <laughs> And you know, I didn't know anything about cactus till I moved here. So awesome. hmm, I'm not from here. Yeah, not at all. So you're in Arizona currently, is that right? Correct. And where are you from originally? Originally, I am from Los Angeles. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Nice. So I, the first question I had for you, Noel, thank you first of all for being with us today is, um, so on your popular blog, you're known as the AZ Arizona plant lady. Um, and it's funny because Marcella was like saying A to Z plant lady. And I was saying, no, I think it's just AZ plant lady. So we decided that both were right. We're right. 
And I'm, yes, it's easy. It's Arizona. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about your background and like what gardening zone you're in? Because I think you're going to be the first, I guess we have, that's going to be in a gardening um, environment, a different landscape and climate that we are both in. So could you talk a little bit about your gardening zone and describe to us kind of what your climate and your landscape looks like? The, the climate here where I live, I live in the greater Phoenix area. So our USDA zone is zone nine. And that's really nice because we can garden 12 months out of the year. Hmm. I'd say, yes, there's cactus out there. You don't have to have cactus in your garden if you don't want to, but there are so many beautiful ones. You can have cactus and you can have flowering shrubs and ground covers and things like that. My garden was at first just things that flowered, just like lush green things, shrubs and trees and and ground covers and vines. And, And it still is. It still is that. But over time, I've incorporated cactus in amongst those with their really cool, unique, spiky shapes. And many of them flower. And I I love them so much, but I never thought that I would like cactus. But mm. they are truly amazing plants. Cactus mm-hmm. and other types of succulents, yes. So why did you think you wouldn't like cactus? Growing up. In Southern California, we had a neighbor a couple of blocks away, and we called it the cactus house. And they had, like in the front yard, they had a little picket fence, and the only thing they had on the landscape was cactus. And nobody designed this yard. There was no design in it whatsoever. It was just a hoarder, a plant hoarder, who just liked different kinds of cactus. There was no two of any kind of plant. It just was didn't look good. It didn't look good at all. And, you know, growing up, I did watch the cartoons where you have the cactus or the old Westerns. People don't watch those nowadays, but, you know, growing up we did. And you had the big, huge swirl cactus. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I moved to Arizona, I moved here when I got married, I couldn't believe those were real things, real cactus. I mean, there's people grow them in their front yard. I mean, I have neighbors who have them in their front yard and they are the coolest things. We got little cactus. We've got beautiful succulents and all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. cactus gets a pretty bad rap. So I, I kind of, I can see why maybe initially you were a little bit hesitant about it. And you have to be careful around some of them. I mean, some of them are smooth, mm-hmm. but a lot of them aren't. Mm-hmm. That I've um, in my career, I used to manage as a horticulturist. I used to manage landscapes that had cactus in them, and I've been up close and a little more personal than I'd care to be. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the challenges of maintaining a garden in a dry climate? The biggest challenge, and this is what I find most often with people in my job as a landscape consultant. It's one of the many hats I wear in that position. I meet primarily with homeowners who want to have a beautiful outdoor space. Yet the biggest thing that gets people in trouble is choosing the wrong kinds of plants. A lot of people here are transplants like me. They come from other areas Mm. and they want to bring the plants that they loved from their former home and grow them here. And Some can grow, but they will struggle the whole time. And people don't pay enough attention to what plants really 
need. The biggest challenges of gardening in a hot, dry climate is the heat in summer because we do get hot and sporadic rainfall. And those are just the two big ones. We have also water resource uncertainties when it comes to the Colorado River. It's been in the news quite often. And, you know, rainfall is just not what it used to be. And that that's true for a large amount of the whole country. You know, there's varying levels of drought. Those are the two factors. If you can grow plants that are low water use, and some of them are stunningly beautiful. And I'm not just talking cactus and succulents. I'm talking beautiful flowering things and the heat. We have to keep in mind the heat because it's, and the aridity, the dryness. Mm. So I just had a couple of follow-up questions. You actually brought up a lot of really good points, um, a lot actually uh, talking about the drought and about water scarcity and how things are getting more dry and people are having lots of concerns with that. In my other life, I do a lot of work in global health and a lot of work with food insecurity and drought and famine and different things like that on the continent of Africa and different places. And so it's really interesting that we're having the same kind of issues here in the U.S. and having a lot of those mm -hmm. same issues in the Southwest. I did have a question. Um, you said that the the a lot of the people that you talk to in your business as a consultant, you they pick the wrong plants, right? So how would you help someone kind of pick the right plants, plants that would be heat tolerant, plants that would do well without so much water? Like how do you guide them to picking the right plants? First, one of my jobs as being AZ Plant Lady, and it's not just Arizona focused. I, I serve all the desert Southwest in general. Oh, okay. And I love to dispel the myths and I have to do this with my clients regularly and as well as people who read my blog and follow me on social media is there's this myth that all you can have are cactus and rocks and really boring stubby plants and nothing could be further from the truth. It is amazing what grows here. It is stunningly beautiful. So I try to explain that to my clients and share that with them. Because when they're consulting with me, sometimes it's because they're very frustrated by their lackluster landscape. Mm -hmm. And they want to have a, an outdoor space filled with things that look beautiful to them. And it is possible, but it's all about choosing the right plants. And that's no matter where you live and no matter right. what kind of climate you're in, you know, you need to have the right kinds of plants. So I have um, a very big plant file list of plants and uh, those that are beautiful pictures, um, how to maintain them, how to kind of walk them through that. And depending on what function they need for the plants, whether it's certain types of trees mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe they want you know, vines in certain places or shrubs. And I, I, in my past, I have worked as a landscape designer as well. And sometimes that part of me comes out quite a bit and I get very excited. It's because <laughs> of the cactus house. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I knew something was wrong with the house. Let's tell you that. But it is so fun. It's very fun, especially if you come into an established home at, with an outdoor space that has existing plants. And it's helping the homeowner identify what plants do they like, which ones are doing well, uh, which ones are not, and filling in the blanks then, which should be taken out, 
what plants can go in and fill that and ones that will bring beauty that are lower water use and that will thrive. One thing we do have here in the desert, I like to call it the wall of death. And the wall of death sounds amazing. Is go ahead. A west facing <laughs> wall. So mm-hmm. parts of the country, you may not have fences around your yard, but primarily in the western United States and the Southwest, we have usually block walls or wood fences. And usually it's a it's a block wall. And <laughs> the wall of death is an area that gets a hot afternoon sun and it bakes the wall and absorbs that heat and it re-radiates it back out to the plants. Yes, plants will survive there, but not tons of them. Mm. Luckily, there's just some really amazing, beautiful favorites that we can have for all types of stressful situations. So I did want to um, back up a little bit. When did you first become interested in gardening? What was your introduction to all of this world? Growing up, my dad loved to putter about in the garden. He loved roses. So did my grandfather. When we bought our first house, it was like a little 1950s ranch style house. I was so excited because there were, was you know space to have a garden. There was no internet back then. <laughs> so I ordered plant catalogs. And that was back in the day where you had to order them and they mailed you a plant catalog. And all my catalogs came from the Midwest or the East Coast. And I was setting myself up for error. I was an educated consumer because I looked at the USDA plant zones, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that only has to do with cold. It has nothing to do with heat. And I planted all these really beautiful things and every single thing I planted died. And I was really frustrated because I, I, I had seen gardens and landscapes around me, which were quite beautiful. And I was very frustrated by that. So I drove to the library again before internet and got some books, but there weren't that many books that really dealt with what can grow in the desert. And you know, Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the country. Most people are really shocked to hear that. It's a very Mm -hmm. fast growing area, the Southwest is, Mm -hmm. yet it's frequently overlooked when it comes to garden media. So I decided at that point, there wasn't much information for me. So I decided to go back to school. So I went back to college and I got my degree in urban horticulture. And there was such a need for people to learn and want to know what you can do to garden here. So I really felt like I was there to fill a hole. Hmm. That's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to go back to school and, and study urban horticulture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was at that point, Shannon, when I had just, I'd had two years of college so far. And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And you kind of have to know at that point what you want your major to be. And I didn't know. So I took a few years off and then this happened, which was really perfect because then I knew what I wanted to do. And so um, I just had a question about Marcella. Can I talk a little bit about uh, dying plants? Uh, How do you stay encouraged when your plants die? And Marcella does have a little bit of history with the dying of plants in her inside garden. I do. I do. And that's why I ask because it can be really easy to get discouraged. So wondering, asking for a friend, but myself, how do you stay encouraged when the plants die? It is. And I, I teach my clients this too. And the first thing is to understand that with plants, we're dealing with nature. Even if you do everything right, 
sometimes plants will die for reasons we don't know. So part of it is, is getting yourself comfortable with the fact that we can't control nature as much as we would like to. As long as you're doing all the things that you're supposed to, that's still a possibility. That's really hard for people to understand. When I have clients who are engineers and they want everything <laughs> black and white, and it's I'm always spending extra time with them because I'm like, you know, but the world's not black and white. Just, I mean, not everything is. Usually for me, if I can identify why did it not do well mm-hmm. and, you know, going through the obvious questions, is it the wrong type of plant? Should it have never been planted here? Is it, is it not acclimated enough to the, the desert extremes? Is it in the wrong place? Is it getting the wrong sun exposure? Those are really important questions to ask. Is it getting enough water? That's a big one. We do a lot of drip irrigation out here. And those little Mm -hmm. tiny emitters with the little drippers here, those can get plugged. So we have to, okay, is it a water issue? And then I have some clients, and this just happened to me, by the way, where they keep trying to plant something in a certain spot and no matter what they plant, it dies. And that's definitely a soil issue. And it could be a very reach. It could just be one spot in their garden. And, you know, when there is any kind of construction done or when a home is built or a homeowner who maybe lived there previously spilled something and covered it up, it's just hard to know. So that's my thing is if everything you put there has died, (laughs) stop wasting your money, put a pot out there. You could do a really pretty pot and grow something (laughs) in a pot and, and that'll do just fine. So sometimes it's seeing beyond that. Yeah. It's a, it's an ongoing theme we keep hearing, which is just this acceptance for, for nature. And you're right. Kind of what you were saying, the more logical or like maybe engineer type left-brained people really want a, a rhyme or reason. And it's, it's, and you it's can't kind of always, a, you can't always predict it. It's also a, a good reframe of you can't really predict nature. Yeah. Like, like we said, you can't really predict nature. So. You can't. And when you describe it as nature, because mm-hmm. people understand that at their core, that nature is different and, and it's not always controllable. And then you have these extreme events, which, oh my gosh, when it comes to climate, it's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. That's another thing to point to. Did you have an extra hot summer? Did you have a lot less rainfall? Did you have a really bad type of storm? Those things can all factor into. Sure. Yeah. Is there a way to turn the fate of a dying plant around? Sometimes. So first off, if it's a plant that is suitable for the area, so it's the right kind of plant for the climate, the sun exposure is fine. Okay. That's not the reason. So we're kind of ruling out it's the wrong plant. So let's assume it's the right plant. If it's been there for several years and it's always done fine, Mm -hmm. the problem could be that plug drip emitter, or maybe it's not getting enough water or you've had an extra dry time of year. So rainfall hasn't been what it's supposed to that can contribute to that. And if that's the case, either you fix the drip emitter or you just give it an extra drink of water now and then. Mm -hmm. Some things that I have discovered that have happened is sometimes when, like in a neighborhood, if a neighbor has used um, like a weed killer product Mm -hmm. and it was a breezy day, that can drift onto your plant (laughs) and cause all kinds of little problems that can happen. And a common misconception is that plants live forever and they don't. 
if the plant is an older plant, and not all plants have the exact same lifespan either, just to complicate things. So if it's an older plant, it may have just served its purpose. That's what I try to say. It served its purpose. It looked beautiful for all these years, but now it's getting older. And some plants, as they get older, they don't look quite as good. They develop little there's their trunk or something doesn't look quite as great. I kind of equate it to, you know, how you get older, what your skin does that can happen mm-hmm. to plants and, and things like that. So if you can't quite figure it out and that can happen, just take it out, either replace it with the same thing or try something new. Well, People have a really hard time with that, by the way, um, pulling out plants, you said, I- but it's killing a plant. And I have to tell people like, but you know what? You eat plants every day. You eat vegetables and fruit. That's a plant. Mm-hmm. No, well, I can't pull them out. I, my husband, has, <laughs> I, I can't, I feel like you're talking to me. Um, Noel, let me tell you, I cannot, I have to have my husband go out and do it. Even, even when I plant, you know, so Marcella, when you're planting like baby seedlings and you plant each seed and so you're supposed to, oh, yeah. some of them, you plant them close together, but then you have to go in as they start to grow and you have to do what they call thinning them out, right. To kind of give mm-hmm. the plants are the strongest, more room to grow. I cannot ever thin <laughs> anything. And if it grows, I believe that everything has a fighting chance. And my husband's like, you gotta pull it. So I had I had these uh tomatoes in my yard that I have had all summer and they were great. And so finally, finally there was some that were still producing. And my husband's like, it's run its time. You have to pull it out and it's uh, you know, and, and get rid of it. So it's really sad. I will say, do you think we talked a little bit about um the fate of a dying plant, Marcella asked that question. And so I'm just thinking that sometimes all these things that you said, Noel, can definitely help you bring bring the plant back. But then sometimes I think that like plants just die to spite you. you know? I agree. <laughs> you know, or they've served their purpose. This is what I tell people. And, and if I'm, vid- especially if I'm meeting with a client who's just moved into a house and they don't like the plants that the house came with, mm-hmm. but they feel bad taking it out. And I said, okay, first of all, that plant, served its life's purpose. A plant in your home or outdoors in your garden, its purpose is to bring you joy or mm. to serve some sort of function in your backyard. It really is. It, that, that's what we plant them for. Mm-hmm. And if they are no longer bringing you joy for whatever reason, it's sickly, it's struggling, despite all you do, it's dying. It means it's not happy. Put it out of its misery, just pull it out. Or if you just hate the plant, but you just don't want to pull it out because it doesn't look good. It's just sometimes injecting a little bit of uh, having someone else tell you it's okay to take it out. Its mm-hmm. job is to make you happy. Your garden is supposed to bring you joy. And if it's and it, and it did that for the prior owners or in your current yard, if there's a plant you've had for years and it's just not doing it for you anymore, it served its purpose. I love that. That's a, I love the Marie Kondo approach to gardening. Touch everything in your garden. And you yeah. know, Marcella, there you go. We're going to trademark that. Trademark <laughs> Garden Maria Kondo. We're going to go out and we're going to figure out how to do it and write a book about that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hi there. Seed in the Shade here with some interesting facts about cacti. Did you know that cacti photosynthesize kind of in reverse? Due to them inhabiting dry and arid environments, Cacti have cleverly adapted a way of producing food which limits the amount of water they lose in the process. Unlike other plants, which absorb carbon dioxide through their pores during the day and use the light energy to convert it into food, cacti collect CO2 at night when the temperature is lower to minimize water loss. 
This type of photosynthesis is known as CAM, or crassulation acid metabolism, where plants use a specific enzyme called phosphoenolpyruvate carboxylase to store the CO2 molecules. Once the daylight returns, cacti use the light energy to convert their stored CO2 into food. During the hottest and driest time of the summer, the pores might not even open at all, sending the cactus into a dormant state. So, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the desert, I guess. Until next time. Well, how do you come up with the topics on your blog? I'm really, really fortunate because a lot of people in my space who have a website and write content or um, do speaking engagements and all, it can be hard to identify what do people really want to learn? What do they want to know most? And I'm fortunate because I meet with them all the time. I'm meeting with homeowners. I meet with my people. And going into a landscape or a garden, we call them landscapes here a lot, just as much as we call them gardens. So if I say landscape, it means garden. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a weird desert thing, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, I see the mistakes people make. I see the frustrations that they have. It could be that I'm at their house and I always have my, um, I, you know, I, I always have my iPad with me and, and I take, you know, and I am, I'm taking pictures as I walk around. And sometimes that picture, just the picture of the right thing, whether it's a plant that should not be there <laughs> or one that's really struggling because it's in the wrong place. Those are really ripe, con you know, ripe topics. And I asked her permission, can I use your, this picture? And oh yeah, it's fine. I said, I won't tell them whose garden it was. <laughs> Sometimes it's inspiration. It's, mm -hmm. it's inspiring pictures as well. And what people have been able to do. So I get most of my topics from there. Some topics I get sitting in traffic at an intersection. And I kind of look at the plants growing in the different areas. Usually it's what not to do. And the worst place to see plants maintained the wrong way is at a fast food drive through restaurant. It just <laughs> looks terrible. I don't care where you live. I've been all over the country. They always look terrible. They put in plants that are too big and they're pruning those little things within an inch of their life. They look horrible. And sometimes you can just get inspiration there. Yeah. But you know, for people who don't have that and want inspiration it's talking to your community if you are building one and whatever where wherever you are and social media is a really great way to do that just asking questions what do you struggle with most what's your biggest thing you like answers to that's a really great way to get to know people and what they struggle with and get inspiration that way exactly and that kind of like uh leads into our next question what organizations and communicate uh, communities do you stay in touch with for support through your endeavors like you're a blog, my, you're a horticulturist, you've got the landscape going on, you've got, you're writing a book, you got- I got a lot. Yes, you got yes, a lot got going a lot. on, Noelle. <laughs> I do. So my favorite number one organization is called Garden.com and it's an international association and it's made up of people who communicate about gardening in all mediums, whether it's television, radio, writing, blogs, photography, social media. What's neat is first of all, I'm the only plant person in my family 
am the only plant person in my extended family. And it's so nice to be with a group of people that understand the craziness and the affection I feel for plants. <laughs> and you, I find that within them. But what I have found so much is it's presented me with a lot of educational opportunities mm-hmm. and networking. I have met so many amazing people who have contacted me and uh, provided me with really wonderful opportunities with uh, writing for national audiences. I've had a publisher reach out and ask me to write a book. There's so much of my success is, is due to that organization. Very cool. And I would imagine it is so important to stay connected just even with the causes that you mentioned, you're really connected and passionate about, you know, with the, with the water scarcity, it's, it's, it's so important. Cause like the question that came to mind for me, see, I'm a, a, in, in, in my day job is I'm a social worker. So I think of advocacy Mm -hmm. and how you can advocate for, for this cause. And so it would, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so important to stay connected. So I'm glad that you have that community. Uh, in that vein, can you tell us about, you know, we've kind of alluded to the different things that you're you're doing, but you know, what are what are your various platforms and the services that you offer? I have to say that I backed into this. This was no big plan of mine whatsoever. When I graduated from college as a horticulturist, the only jobs out there for horticulturists were were at golf courses. And so huh. That's how I started out. I started out as being a horticulturist on staff. I was in charge of everything but the grass. And that was fine. <laughs> and I loved it. And the golf course was a great big playground. And I had a crew and my Spanish was really, really good. And they were the most wonderful men to work with. And I loved it. And then the recession hit. And that's when everybody was starting blogs. And having a horticulturist on staff at a golf course is considered a luxury. So during <laughs> when they are having to cut down their budget, they're like, okay, my boss said, well, you should probably find another job in about six months. <laughs> oh, and wow. I did. And I went to work as a landscape designer for a couple of years. Then the recession was horribly bad. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I'm, I just quit. I just said, this is, an, I'm burned out. I've had enough. And a year later, I started writing a blog. That's what everybody was doing. I said, I really want to help people garden successfully here and teach them how and take the mystery out of it. It's a lot easier than people think. So I just started writing. And then national magazines were looking for people to write regional content for the Southwest. So I started getting hired to write. And so I started writing and still was doing my blog. And then I was doing garden consulting for people. Then I joined GardenCom. everything opened up. So I do lots of speaking. I do, I teach a lot of classes at botanical gardens. I also teach a lot of online, especially since 2020, I do lots of online uh, uh, webinars now. And I got also into teaching classes digitally because so many people needed my help in their gardens, but there's only one of me and there's hundreds of people, thousands of people that needed help. So that made me think, okay, what if I create a class, an online class about how to garden in the desert? So that I created this class, over 800 students have gone through the class so far. And that's been really neat way to be able to, to reach a lot of people. So that's been very helpful with that. I've worked with local cities doing, uh, informative videos and things like that. Just a little bit of everything in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just finished 
uh, well, I didn't just finish. I finished my book several months ago. It just has been published. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's what I was doing a year ago. <laughs> I was holed up in my office writing. And so that's my next venture. I have never written a book before. Well, I have. It comes out in the spring. But <laughs> it's neat. I didn't plan any of this. I planned the book. But I didn't plan any of the other stuff. It's just opportunities opened up because there's a need. That's what it sounds like. Very cool. And there were a couple of things that you said that actually struck me. So you um, talked about uh, the only people that were hiring a horticulture horticulturist was. Uh, <laughs> of so course. I, I was uh, not playing golf. I was playing mini golf putt putt <laughs> but one thing that was really cool the the golf the little putt putt place I was at probably had gosh probably a hundred banana trees and it was really amazing because I have two banana trees that I struggle with and <laughs> str- I mean like it's a whole thing I could do a whole like a uh, podcast about me and these two <laughs> bananas but they had these banana trees and one of them actually was fruiting and it had bananas on it and there were these amazing lush like it looked like you were in you know a tropical island somewhere it was amazing so I was thinking now I wonder if they have like who is taking care of these you know million banana trees in this little putt-putt place so that was really cool and um I just kind of one other question Noel that came out of something you said so you talked about having this uh, virtual class that people can go online and they can take courses with our deserts I, I'm not very familiar with deserts so I would think that deserts are different depending on where you are or are deserts pretty much the same so if you're talking about teaching people about growing things in the desert climate in Arizona can you take that same information that you would be teaching that person and they can utilize it in some place like the Middle East or someplace like Africa or a different place where there's also desert, but it's kind of different desert? Does it apply? Is desert it going? It does. Growing? It does to a point. That's a great question. The deserts here, usually the differences between deserts, we have low deserts, which are lower altitude, generally 2,000 feet, 2,500 feet and below. We have uh, mid altitude deserts, which are 2,500 feet and above. And then we have high deserts. There are some cold deserts where it just gets down to like zero degrees in the winter time. There's some that maybe get into the twenties or the teens. And then uh, lucky me, you know, twenties is all I've ever seen here, but yes, it does translate around quite a bit. There are differences in soil. Some desert people think desert, they think Sandy where we live, our soils are clay. Mm. You wouldn't think that. You know, but you go to the deserts in Southern California, they are sandy, let mm-hmm. me tell you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have to take, the class is meant to be a, a broad reach between um, desert climates, but it's not really meant, it's meant really for uh, desert gardeners who live in zone, USDA zones eight and nine. And yes, it could absolutely apply to other parts of the world. I'm so glad you asked that question, Shannon, because I was just thinking, back to being in the, in the middle East, I realized how much I took greenery for granted. (laughs) I remember (laughs) going on a vacation, um, and seeing like trees, like a, like a, you know, something that I took for granted being back stateside, um, for the first time. And it almost like brought tears to my eyes. Like you really do take gardens and landscape and greenery for granted. So it just, it just, you're the work you're doing is really important (laughs) to teach people. You know, one thing that's really interesting is, is yes, people, (laughs) When you travel outside of the desert, there's lots of green. And it's a very saturated green primarily. And there's not many different shades. You come to the desert, we have a lot of green too, but they're very subtle. And we have many different shades. And I had a client who I was scheduled to meet with him. And he was very excited to have me come over and help him learn how to take care of his plants. 
so I, I got to his house and he was panicked. He wasn't panicked when he scheduled me, but he was panicked when I showed up. <laughs> and I said, what's wrong? He says, my plant, they looked, says they're, they're struggling. Something's wrong with them. He was so worried. So we're starting to walk through. Everything looked beautiful. His plants were in wonderful condition. They looked amazing. It was a really beautifully designer. He's freaking out on me. So I just had to do a lot of assuring. He was like an engineer type. I said, everything's fine. It looks really good. This is the way they're supposed to look. Once we were finishing up, we were just having this nice conversation. And this was July. And I, he said, yeah, I just got back from vacation. I said, oh, well, where were you? He says, I was in Michigan for two weeks. I said, I, I know what the problem is with your garden. And I said, it's not with your garden. It's with you. You have temporary <laughs> green blindness. <laughs> That's what happened. Because you were just had this, this saturated, like vibrant greens everywhere. And it takes a while for your eyes to come here and adjust and notice all the more subtle shades of green. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I like that temporary green blindness. Temporary green blindness. Yes. So why is it important to you that people know it's possible to have a healthy garden in the desert? Gardens, no matter where you live, they are so good for your mental health. They bring you joy. And that's really important. They also benefit the climate in in so many ways. And they increase the value of your house if you have a house or a condo. If you have a condo or an apartment, having beautiful container gardens brings you joy, elevates uh, the perceived value of your property. So those are all really good things. If you watch those, you know, if you watch HGTV and you see any of those home improvement shows, they're always putting pots of plants in front of the homes that they redo to make them look better. But gardens really do bring you joy. They also are really important to provide habitat for wildlife because many of the numbers of wildlife out there is shrinking due to urban sprawl and expansion. So we can actually play a really important vital part by creating really beautiful habitats in our backyard that are beautiful and made of plants that you probably would already love and, and wildlife loves it too. I uh, was telling Marcella the story about we have a bunch of trees in my backyard and we were cutting the branches and so my husband was just like I'm gonna put them I'm gonna put them in the corner and I'm gonna move them one day well that's like two years ago so now we have all these <laughs> branches that are stacked up probably four feet high and so we were thinking okay we'll have somebody come move them but now what we found is that we have like a whole sanctuary back there so we have this whole ecosystem we call it the the raccoon habitat so we have like you know there's snakes that live back there there's a squirrel there's like there's a lot of stuff that lives back there there's always birds and so it's like I think that that is very important to say you know that mm -hmm. gardens I and, do know, too and I think that's a wonderful thing and it was an accident right <laughs> <laughs> but it was but what a great lesson yeah. You know, to, yeah. I mean, if you have the room for it, I just think that's wonderful. Shannon, I just like, are you like Snow White? I just feel like you should like sing to these animals every day when you come outside. I will not say that I don't. <laughs> sing <to> them. <laughs> you, you know, you they, name them too. I uh, yeah, I do. I do have a squirrel that has a name. His name is Chonky the squirrel, and then I have, a, <laughs> and, and then I have a couple of other ones out here that I see all the time. And so yeah, it's there's a lot going on in the backyard. And so um, I did have a question. So being out in 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 the yard, and we talked a little bit about the climate and how it's hot in in Arizona. What kind of things do people need to do if they're gardening in this kind of hot environment to keep themselves safe? That's always a big concern. 
so half of the year we have absolutely delightful weather and you don't have to worry about anything more than half of the year but yes we have temperatures that get over 100 degrees and unlike living in a humid area um, when i travel to areas in the country that are in the 80s or low 90s and it's humid i'm dying because i am a wimp when it comes to humidity <laughs> but in the desert we're so dry that you may not feel very sweaty and so it can be um you may not realize how much water you're losing and because sweat evaporates it actually makes you look i mean sweat just evaporates for the most part so you do have to be careful because you don't realize the effect that he can have on you till you really start feeling the symptoms and that's not good so my goal is in to tell people in in the the hot season if you're going to go out in the garden, you want to go out really early in the morning. You want to make sure you wear a hat. I sound like your mother, but it's important. <laughs> uh, have, you know, drink well before you go outside. Get hydrated before you go out and then um, set your alarm on your watch or your phone every 15 minutes and take some more drinks of water. Another time that we like to garden is at dusk when the sun goes down because it makes a huge difference once the sun is not up anymore, yet it's still light outside. You can get a lot done in the garden. I have to be honest, in July and August, I don't wanna go outside at all. We hibernate in July and August. We hibernate and we don't hibernate in the winter. We hibernate for two months every summer, but sometimes you have to get out there and you have to do something. So my goal is, is to go out early in the morning and I'll set my timer and I'll just do 30 minutes worth of work. Mm -hmm. And you can get a lot done in 30 minutes. You may not finish your task, but that's okay. But 30 minutes is okay. You're not going to have any major heat issues or anything like that. So hydrate, wear a hat, don't be in the sun for 50 hours. <laughs> yeah, an early morning, go out early morning or when the sun sets. Got it. That makes, and not July or August because those are those should be hibernating months. <laughs> Fair enough. We do get lots of summer rain where I live. And so we get monsoons. And we have torrential rain, periods of torrential rain in July and August, which is really fun. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going outside if I can help it. And then what can people do to be more mindful of water usage in their homes and in their, in their gardens? We have a tendency, people in general, we love to mother our plants. Sometimes we mother them so much that it leads to their bad health. If you got to realize a lot of plants existed out in nature without any help from us. <laughs> and then we bring them here. We want to nurture. We want to care for them. We want to be a plant parent. And that can turn out bad if you're watering them too often. And that's what a lot of people do. They think it's a desert. My plants need more water. Well, you know what? A lot of people overwater their plants. That's a huge, big mistake. And what makes it really sad is that a lot of the um, landscape professionals do it too. Like if you have a gardener that comes to take care of your landscape, frequently they don't know how often to water. They'll tell you to water every single day, or they'll tell you that this is what you should do. And it's really sad because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, um, local governments have absolutely accurate, spot-on watering information online that people can find. That's what they need to do because most people water their plants way too often. Plants don't look any better. They actually don't do as well. So that's that's number one. Another thing that's happening more often is switching out high water use plants 
and opting for some others that are lower water use. Now the lower water use ones can be absolutely beautiful, lush, saturated greens with gorgeous flowers. Uh, we wanna make sure that we're planting the right type of plants. And a big thing lately with the water issues going on is getting rid of, of non-functional lawns. So a non-functional lawn, you know, some people say, well, I want a lawn for my kids to play on or my dog or whatever, but those places are usually in your backyard. What if you have a front yard lawn? That's just for looks. Mm -hmm. You're not doing anything with that lawn. Yeah. Getting rid of that lawn, you know, a lawn uses three times more water a year than pools do and 10 times more water a year than a beautiful low maintenance landscape can. Mm -hmm. It's, it's huge difference. So what you can do is rip up your non-functional lawn, put in some really beautiful lush green ground covers, use a fraction of the water, but you get the same design impact. You can do that. If you have a backyard with a massive big lawn and you only use part of it, well, take out a big part of it and, you know, put other things in. And people are really interested in this nowadays. People are very concerned and they're so excited about that because now they're wanting they're wanting me to help them. You know, well, what can I do? I want to, I want to get rid of my high water use stuff. What can I put in that's going to look really pretty? And there, there's lots of options. I'm getting the, I'm getting the kind of the, the message of do, do less. Like sometimes we just, we just do the most. And so okay. just do less. Marcella, I feel offended. <laughs> <laughs> Am I an overwaterer? Maybe a little bit. Sometimes. <laughs> Today, my husband just told me, he said, I don't think you need to water these. Like, you know, it's not summertime twice a day. And I'm like, you don't know my plants, but he's probably right. So <laughs> I accepted it. And I said, okay, we could probably go to every other day. I will, I will, uh, I will meet you there. So Noel, can you tell us based on these lyrics from songs, what is your gardening vibe like? Is your gardening vibe more, it's feeling hot, 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 or the heat is on? or hot fun in the summertime? Hot fun in the summertime. <laughs> the summer gardens in the desert are, at, they're just stunningly beautiful. I may be hibernating indoors in July and August, but everything is lush and green and beautiful and flowering. And I'm like, it looks awfully pretty out there. I'm not going to go out there, but it looks <laughs> really good. <laughs> I love that. What desert, bl desert bloom would you most identify with? I love penstemons and penstemons are a beautiful perennial and there's many different species. They're native primarily to the Western North America. I have a few in my garden, which I absolutely love. And one is called firecracker penstemon. He's a beautiful orange red bloom. Hummingbirds love it. And get this guys, he starts to bloom in November and he blooms all the way through April. Oh, nice. wow. I love nice. Yeah. I know. He blooms all winter long for me into spring. He's tough. He doesn't look tough, but he's tough. He's low <laughs> water use. He can take any sun. I, I have fair skin, so I can't take any sun you put on me, but he can. <laughs> Loves full sun. Just does great. Awesome. Very we'll definitely nice. have to have you take some pictures of him so we can put it up on the site so people can see how beautiful he is. Oh, yes. I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah. He's really pretty. And so where can people follow you? So I am on uh, Facebook at AZ Plant Lady, Instagram, az.plant.lady. You can find me on Pinterest at AZ Plant Lady. Cool. I'm on azplantlady.com. And if you just go there, you'll find everything else and how to find me. <laughs> 
Awesome. Thank you. Well, oh, thank and you. my book. Um, yes, dry please climate tell us about the book. Yes. Dry Climate Gardening, uh, that comes out in March, and it's available anywhere now. It's available for pre-order anywhere you order books online, and I'm pretty excited but a little nervous. So We wish you well on your book. I'm sure it's going to do great. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon. We learned so much. So thank you for the important work that you're doing. I learned a ton. I'm just really excited about going to a desert now and looking at all the stuff that grows there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to check like, out your Pinterest. It's amazing. It is. Thank you so much for having me. This has been the CD and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plants. Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening. <laughs>